Hello, welcome to the Why God Why podcast. Uh, I am Peter Englert along here with our fantastic co-host John Amayo and our illustrious producer Dylan Carnival. So um, I, I get made fun of for switching adjectives. No, so I is... think we need to come up with adjectives for you though. I mean, you know, you know, stellar comes to mind. Uh, um, studly, of course. I think everyone out there in our listening audience would love knows that already about you but studly on podcast not yes. on video but anyways on yeah. that note what a great segue we are here with paul pastor um i just want to let you all know his last name's pastor he is an author and a speaker he wouldn't consider himself a pastor so don't be confused I'm sure but he would share. consider himself a pastor well we'll let him answer yeah. that how anyway. about that but yeah. um he recently Such a complicated question right yeah. i mean yes. i've been a pastor my whole life <laughs> that's and yet right i'm not a pastor and yet i am wow. a pastor and yet i'm not a pastor and yet i went to <laughs> seminary and yet i'm not a pastor but i am a pastor wow it's this is confusing. it's meta it's very, it's very meta <laughs> yeah it's you know super what meta. yeah paul's response right there like I, all. I've read a couple of his devotionals, The Listening Day. He'll talk more about the book that we're kind of basing this off of. But the question we're going to ask him today is, why do I connect more with God in nature than in church? And uh, John, I want to just give you a moment to respond to that before we go to Paul. Yeah, well, I mean, I think in our society right now, I think we... Uh, the more we're, we adjust to technology, and you and I, Peter, were just having a conversation about technology before we even were on the air here, but uh, I, I think the more technology is a part of our lives and the less we're connected with nature, the more we are missing. And I think so. Sometimes I think when we actually engage with nature, we realize how much of that almost transcendence that we miss out on. And so I, in my life, I love the outdoors. I love being outside. I love being in the woods. I always have ever since I was a kid. And I do honestly feel like I connect with God in that space. Um, it's not the only space, but I do feel like it is a space that I can connect deeply with God. And I think there's something hardwired inside of us to connect with God in that area that, that I think we're missing out on a lot in our society. Yeah, I I just love what you said there. And Paul's book that's out is The Face of the Deep, Experiencing the Beautiful Mystery of Life with the Spirit. Um, I followed Paul online. He actually took an extended break. He might talk a little bit about that. But, um, you know, even right now, um, we're doing this through an app called Squadcast. Paul lives out um, on the West Coast. There's I can see through his window a beautiful scene. And I think about that for many of our listeners of, I experience God more in nature, I experience God more with other people, or you know, more outside the church building, and I think that there's space for that that we don't always bring up. So, Paul, let's get started. Um, I just wanna kinda, why, why do you love nature so much? Like, how has that been a part of your life? And, you know, that was John's mm. first question, so I'm just, you know, copying it from there. <laughs> Yeah, for sure. Well, first of all, what a difficult question to answer. I mean, the the experience of God and nature it brings up so many different things about our spirituality, uh, about the nature of God, about the nature of our society, the nature of our culture. Um, what handle to even begin grabbing that mm -hmm. question by, right? So I love that you made it experiential here, Peter. Um, why do I like nature so much? I think because I am nature, I think one of the root things we forget is that we as humans are part of nature. We are meant to be deeply connected to nature. Uh, we are this unique uh, amalgam in the biblical story of earth and spirit, of dust and breath. Uh, and in our modern materialistic way of thinking, which is true of uh, Christian faith these days as much as anything, it's in the very water we drink, we tend to think that we are deeply separate and distinct from creation mm. when actually the vision is that we would be the crown of creation, right? The image of God that is deeply woven with the whole web of, of ecology, deeply woven. Uh, and we, we allow ourselves to fall under the spell of certain cultural myths. And part of it is the privilege of not having to do things like kill our own food, bury our own dead. Um, make our own shelter. 
most of us are disconnected from the realities of being part of an ecological web. We are enabled to mythologize ourselves because we purchase food that is packaged. We uh, engage with ideas that are packaged. We interface with the world outside mostly through windows, mostly through screens. Um, if we are outdoors, it's by choice, right? Nearly entirely, unless we're working a really physical job. Uh, and so we could go on and on and on about the reasons that we get disconnected. Um, but why do I love it? Because it speaks to something in my soul that feels deeply true. And it feels for me like coming home. Some of that is uh, related to my own somewhat bizarre growing up here in the state of Oregon. I grew up in the woods, grew up on a sheep farm. Uh, in many ways, my early years were very isolated and a little bit lonely, but uh, looking back, I have a real fondness now for some of the experiences that I had of just having a ton of free time outside. Rivers of Oregon, woods of Oregon, fields of Oregon, lots of books, lots of free time. And it, you know, the early years of my spiritual experience were not Christian. My family was not in any way following Jesus or interested in Christian faith in any recognizable form. But I still felt this sense of presence in the outdoors. I felt this sense of spiritual connection. And so when I began to get language around, well, maybe there's like an actual creator who cares about me and maybe, maybe Jesus Christ is in charge of all this and things started changing that way for me. I had to reconcile the fact that what, what I was feeling in church, which was very real and very positive, um, was part of the same reality and the same presence that I was experiencing outside in mm. nature. And I think that's what a lot of us feel. Like when we go to a mountain and we're, we're like, it's more than just I'm seeing God's artistry, right? It's more than just I'm looking out on this thing that's made. There's a sense of intimate encounter. There's a sense of wordless presence. And it's that nearly indescribable thing, mm. indescribable, but so real that has in many ways kept me tethered and following Jesus through so many difficulties um, of mind and life and faith that have come in the years since my boyhood. Uh, and the common ground for all that is, is the spirit, right? The creator, the sustainer, the one who is in us as part of that divine nature, um, but part and parcel of that whole web of life. So I know that's a very long and rambling yeah. answer to what was a very short and succinct question on your end, Peter. Um, but it's that sense of connection. It's that sense of intimacy. It's that sense that I belong with all things that have been made, mm -hmm. right? Because the same one who made me, the same one who sustains my very molecules right now is doing the same thing for the oaks, the same thing for the basalt cliffs that surround me here in Oregon, the same thing for the deer and for the dogs and uh, for the mosquitoes and all the little things that we take for granted. Mm -hmm. God's presence is there with them and it's different, but it's still very holy, it's very sacred uh, and it's very intimate and personal. Mm. So, wow. I don't know. There we go. No, that was so good. I mean, I, I've been I've been reading about Celtic spirituality this past week, as a matter of fact, which has a lot of overlap to what you're talking about. And according to the, the Celtic Christian tradition, uh, it speaks of nature and, and God and us all working in harmony together. And there's a lot of the mm. the um, emphasis on the Trinity uh, throughout the early Christians uh, in that part of the world and and highly influenced by nature as well. And so you see the gospel mm. enter this area and they they already had a high respect for nature, but it seemed to kind of elevate it even more. So the mm. gospel mm. would did something into that community that actually let them see nature in even a deeper way. Um, so I'm, mm. I'm wondering, even as you're describing your childhood, not having, you know, a Christian upbringing, so to speak, but are there moments after you mm. decided to follow Jesus that, that you, you came to appreciate nature in a deeper way because of that? And maybe what, mm. what are one or two of those moments that stand out to you if you can, if mm. you have them? Yeah, I wouldn't say there were moments of like realization. Like I have the benefit of feeling like um, feeling like all of the beauty and roughness of the outdoors is kind of the native language of my soul, right? Mm. 
I would like to think that I don't idealize in some sort of kind of glowing way, like, mm. oh, everything's perfect outside. No, it's rough and it's raw. Nature is red in tooth and claw, and that's part of it, right? This whole crazy web uh, is eating itself, and it's this wild, roiling place of struggle. Uh, and that, too, somehow is 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 where we find ourselves. But so I wouldn't say that there were like these huge moments of realization. The realization or the articulation maybe was more on the the faith side of things. Like mm -hmm. what I needed was to reconcile the experience of very goodness that I was encountering and continue to encounter. Um, you know, like Peter mentioned, like we live out in the woods, we live in a literal ghost town um, next to a Franciscan convent. I'm looking at a little flock of goats outside. And that's not accidental that we ended up here. Like, uh, as, as far as we had the privilege to choose where we lived, we wanted, um, as a family to just be really close to the realities of nature in mm -hmm. the woods. We heat exclusively with firewood year round. We're, uh, we're very engaged with just the rhythms of the year. And that's intentional. We want our kids to have that experience. We want ourselves to have that experience. We learn on a daily basis lessons of faith and life from the book of nature and from the teachers that are all around us through God's spirit, right? But the articulation that I felt that I needed was how to integrate that back into my Christianity, like knowing and loving Jesus all the way down to my boots was totally real. But I would just find like this growing impatience and disdain and bitterness in me towards how Christians not just treated the environment, but felt so, it all just felt so disconnected and it felt so fake. And it felt like here we are walking into a church building, trying to drum up the sense of awe and wonder that the world outside has in spades. Like go sit in the woods for six hours and you will awaken in worship, right? Like we're trying to whip up in like these 20 minutes of intense, like what felt to me at the time, emotional manipulation. And I was like, what's, what's being lost here? Like what's the connection? And the place that that took me was a really rich re-understanding of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. Because what was what's the unifying factor here in the people of God, in the body of Christ? Like the thing that holds the world together in Christian theology is that sense of richness on the doctrine of the Holy Spirit. And that's largely forgotten for many of us. Like, unless you're coming from a somewhat charismatic faith tradition, or like the Celts, you have this Trinitarian understanding because you need that to reconcile Christianity with your intact nature-based culture, which is a phrase I'd like to return to later, intact nature-based culture, right? Because <laughs> uh, that's what the Celts were. They were an intact culture and it, they were based in nature. That's why a lot of us find a lot of um, indigenous wisdom, right? From, from peoples who live close to the land, no matter where they're from, uh, that sense of living closely to nature keeps human culture intact. And the farther you get from the land, the farther you get from that sense of community and belonging that we're meant to have in the name of Jesus and by the power of the spirit, right? Mm -hmm. All this to say, uh, it was that understanding of the doctrine of the Holy Spirit that really allowed me to integrate, I think, without just spinning off into some sort of bizarre hippy-dippy world, right? Um, that sense of the spirit sustaining work right now, continuing the act of creation, is what empowered the ministry of the Messiah. What right now empowers the church around the world for unity and for service and for mission and to advance the work of Jesus the Messiah, the same life that is in me and that the church is reaching for with all of its failures and all of its struggles is the same life that is in the berry vines and in the stars and in the like rich quilting of the world, the adorning of the world. Uh, what I encounter in what we call nature or creation is a different piece of the same life that we can encounter in church. And so the disparity there needed language on my end. I needed to just have a richer understanding for how the spirit worked so that I could take those two experiences and draw them together, not in opposition, but in a really rich sense of harmony. Does that make any sort of sense? It, it does. And um, I grew up Pentecostal. Um, so, you know, there was an emphasis on the Holy Spirit that was helpful and not so helpful. And I guess kind of what I'm 
curious with you, and I've told a lot of the authors that we interview on this podcast, I feel bad because I, I do the interview, then I read your book, and then I'm like, man, I have like 20 more questions. <laughs> uh, but I, uh, I, I guess without going too much into it, I would ask this question. For our listeners who maybe are skeptical of church and skeptical of Jesus, yeah. God the Father kind of makes sense. There, There's some pushback. Jesus makes a ton more sense, but then you got the Holy Spirit. How would you explain the Holy Spirit in nature, in life, to someone that's skeptical or maybe even against Christianity? Yeah, it's a really, it's a really good question. What I would say is what part of what makes Christian faith unique is our stubborn insistence that God is both singular and plural at exactly the same time. Yes, it makes no sense. Yes, I have a ton of sympathy. Uh, I write in the book, it's as if a math problem has been found whose uh, answer is simultaneously wrong and right. No matter how many times you run it, three doesn't equal one, and yet it does equal one, and yet it doesn't equal one, and yet it does equal one. Uh, it's a sense of logic that is beyond us. Uh, frankly. And so, yes, it's it's foolish. I get it if you don't understand it. The Father, uh, the Son, and then the Spirit, of course, are the three parts of the Christian Trinity. And what the Western Church has held for centuries is that the Spirit proceeds from the love. It is the personal love of the Father and the Son, that the community of the Godhead, right, this really unique being that is very different from us and yet recognizable to us because we've been made in its image is singular. It's a single person. And yet there's also a community of difference that's present. It's diverse, it's beautiful, and there is relationship and love that exists there. The spirit is the active personification of that love. And that sounds a little abstract, but it's really not. Um, how do you know if a person loves you? Well, it's not just the sentiments that they give, but it's the way that their presence is incarnated in your life. Mm -hmm. A mother's love is present to her child, not just because of who she is, but because of what she does, of how she is there. And that's that's the core reality that I believe is at the heart of kind of everything. I mean, science can tell us a lot about how the world is made, right? Can tell us a lot about the molecules and the constituent elements that we see and about how we're able to perceive it. But think for a moment about that great central mystery that we take absolutely for granted every single day of our lives. You woke up this morning in a body that somehow against all logic holds together with this electromagnetic field of mutual attraction and consistency. And again today, the laws of physics were true to you. Do we understand what a gift that is? And there's at the center of all this goodness, there is something keeping it going somehow. And Christian doctrine says that that's the sustaining work of the Holy Spirit and that that close presence, like a mother's love or like a father's love, that close presence is itself personal and shows your relationship to this whole other thing. So that sense of invitation that's present in that, uh, in that beautiful, simple statement of existence is what allows me to begin to approach a theology of God and a theology of the Trinity. Because when you really think about it, while scientific inquiry and description can get us uh, a long ways towards understanding what is around us, there's still a central something in the world that is deeply mysterious and deeply good. Mm -hmm. And Christians believe that that has a name and can be known. Um, and the way that that happens in our doctrine is the spirit, the very essence and expression of love of the father and the son by which we are invited into the life that we were meant for. Mm -hmm. Now, obviously, people from any different background, and we have people listening that are from different backgrounds, and they're just checking out Christianity. And, th and I think that, that it's important to realize any of us can stand in nature and go, wow, right? And my, I think yeah, for, 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 for many of us, that's, that's the case. But do you think there's, there's a sense in which, um, as a Christian, and the view of the Holy Spirit, 
that Christians hold, is there something unique about that? Is there something unique mm. about the experience that a Christian can have with nature that that maybe mm. isn't possible another way? I, I, I'm interested in your perspective on that. I, I really think so. Um, yeah, I really think so. The basic Christian message is that the same life that is animating all of this, giving meaning to all of this, actually cares. Mm. It actually knows you. It's more than just a cycle of death and rebirth. It's more than a materialistic, empty cycle that can be beautiful. Um, but the arc of uh, the arc of history in the big scheme of things and creative and creation history is leading towards towards something good mm. that God knows your name mm. um, and as we engage with the beauty of nature it's not incidental and it's not accidental and the same life that lets all things truly become what they are because that's the goodness of nature right the inherent integrity of say a tree it's not trying to be anything other than what it is it is and that very being is good that sense of integrity and consistency is what your destiny can be mm. you know i think it's beautiful to think that each of our souls has um for lack of a better term uh, an ecological niche uh, bill plotkin who's uh he's not a christian but he, he thinks very deeply about depth psychology and its relationship to nature he talks about this he talks about how each of our souls has a niche to fill in the world. It actually matters. You have a gift that you have been brought here to give. And Christianity is able to name and understand and cultivate that in a fascinatingly unique way. It's able to say, you have been made and redeemed to fit and belong in this rich tapestry. You really do. But that's not guaranteed to happen. Many people live their whole lives and they miss it. Many people uh, lose that gift. Many people live their whole lives never even being able to name that gift, let alone give that gift. And that's what Christianity and its root really allows us to do, to become who we are. Mm. The work of Jesus to redeem us is a door. It's not the house itself. The, the door allows us to walk in and begin the process um, of a really rich type of self-knowledge a really rich type of self-awareness, a really rich type of personal blooming, as it were, where we begin to unfold in our fullness as a person, as a soul. And that looks very simple usually. Uh, it looks like self-consistency. It looks like rootedness. It looks like integrity and relationship. It looks like what the fruits of the Spirit are that Paul writes about in the biblical book of Galatians. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, gentleness, self-control, all of these self-consistent good virtues. And it's what we want in human life. So the promise that Christianity extends that's unique is that the same logic that governs the world, that governs ecology, that governs physics, that governs all good things that you love about nature, extends into your very being and it can be a blessing to you so that you can be a blessing to others. You have a vision for your life that can transform you and move you into a place of deep and profound belonging. And Christ is the pattern. Jesus Christ is the pattern. He is the firstborn of many brothers and sisters because of the Holy Spirit's work for perfect self-consistency, which we would call sinlessness in our typical language. He was without sin. He was without anything that took away from his essential good nature. And that's the story of the Bible. That's the story of Christian faith. That's also the story of the world around us. And it's all the same logic. It draws us together into this great story of the very good, this great story of things becoming more, becoming more diverse, becoming more rich, becoming more flourishing, becoming more good. And you have a place in that. I have a place in that. The world loses something if we don't step into that niche and step into that role, step into what the scriptures might call our true name. Um, so we could talk a long time about the implications of that because they're deep. But what I love most about it is that Christianity is offering you a vision of belonging through Jesus to this world that is 
absolutely unique. It is very humble and very simple, but it also says for all that humility that we are inheriting all things, that we get to belong to all things, that we get to serve and lead like Christ, like God does himself, all things. It says that we fit. And I just am captured by that story. You know, um, I, I wish all of you could see this. Uh, you know, we're using Squadcast. Paul, I feel like, is talking as naturally as if we're having coffee together watching him. Just It just flows. And, um, you know, one of the things that I'm curious about is um, I rarely meet people that were like you that said, you know, my parents were sheep farmers. I lived out in nature, and then I came to know Jesus. I, I meet far more people that said I was part of, of a a cheap experience at church and now i find god quote unquote in nature and i want to caveat this question like i i first of all want to just empathize and understand that like you know i understand like the church that you might have been a part of like it just Hmm. it didn't necessarily live out the values of christianity but then like just the beautiful vision that you just gave of Christianity is something that just resonates with me. How would you respond to that person that just kind of, I, I, because of my church experience or because of, you know, just my skepticism of the church, I find God more in nature, but I've kind of given up on Christianity. How do you kind of entertain that conversation or how would you respond to that type of person? Mm, I would really work to listen. I mean, every story is so different, right? We can see a lot of themes that are shared between cultural trends of the nuns leaving the church and people who now identify as having no organized faith or no organized religion. Certainly evangelical faith and Protestant faith uh, is in decline um, demographically throughout uh, the West, but in America in particular. So I would just listen because every story is different. Um, I feel personally a lot of permission to allow people to follow. How can I say this without sounding dismissive? To follow the call of their soul. Maybe Mm. I'll say that. Sometimes we need a time of of deconstruction or of taking apart. Uh, What we don't recognize is that those times are profoundly dangerous. Um, Earlier, I mentioned the concept of an intact nature-based culture, and one of the hallmarks of those cultures that do dwell close to nature is that their ability, is that they have the ability to produce true elders. In our culture, we have a lot of olders, but we don't have a lot of elders. Mm -hmm. Elders are people who have been through certain initiation experiences in their soul. And if if you've uh, recognized those, you'll know what I'm talking about. Um, in many nature-based cultures, we're, fam- we're familiar with rites of passage or rites of initiation. Usually we think about it for uh, an adolescent kid, like the boy is going to become a man, so they have a bar mitzvah. The girl is going to become a woman, so she has a certain ceremony she goes through. But uh, what most traditional cultures around the world say is that there's another move that has to happen later in life to move out of adolescence into true adulthood. Uh, to become a generative human being. Uh, And you can't do that without a deep sort of natural synergy. Nature does certain things to the soul. Um, And when you are apart from it, I think it creates a void. I think it creates a great gaping hole. And faith, doctrine, it's not enough to fill it. The spirit can do great work, but faith and doctrine alone are not enough to fill it. And in our Christian culture, we tend to throw more theology at things rather than to try and live our way into God's call for us. That's all a giant way of saying people are deconstructing right now without the benefit of having elders. Because what used to happen or what should happen is when you're walking through this period of questioning and difficulty, which is a good thing, you ought to question, you ought to engage with these things very deeply, but you also ought to have people around you who are able to identify what's happening so that you don't despair and spin off into space because you've gotten into your head so much that you lose connection with the larger story. You need somebody to be right there by you and say, you're going to be okay. 
You have permission to ask these questions. And by the way, think about this or go here, go experience this thing. Because these times of, of deconstruction or renewal are very good, but they're also profoundly dangerous. And so the people in our culture who make it through those times are outliers mm. because they've either, through their circumstances, been lucky enough to somehow land on the right paths in this labyrinth of forking paths, and they've made it through to the other side, keeping who they are and making it, right? When the odds were not in that favor, or they've had the benefit of true elders, people mm. who have, again, in a culture that's actually actively poised against eldership, most old people in our culture are functionally adolescent. They have not moved through the initiatory experiences. They're functionally adolescent, even though they're 60 or 70 years old. Mm. Um, but if those people are present in your life and you've been blessed enough to find one of the few, then they're there to help you too. Um, so for somebody who's, who's asking those questions, I would say, follow them, follow those questions ask and seek and knock on those questions. Know that what you love and long for is Christ. Like that's, if you encounter God in nature, push through that to what's on the other side. It's good to feel the hollowness of hollow things sometimes. And much of what's been said to us in the name of Jesus has been hollow. Uh, but don't reject the core story. Don't reject the core image of the cross. The picture of the cross is this place where two planes meet, where life and death get all mingled up, where blood and water pour out for you. Don't reject that image. Don't mistake the thinness of the presentation for the richness of the roots that are there. Um, but ultimately you asked, what would I say? What would I do? I would, I would listen. I would listen. What is it that has drawn them to Christ in the first place? What is it that they are seeking? What is it that they want in life? What yearnings can we name in them? Because those are the breadcrumbs. Those are the clues that we have to follow back to where they come from. Um, what desire or need in your soul is met when you walk into the cathedral of the forest and all of a sudden everything feels holy. Name that, work for that, push for that. Mm. And ultimately I believe you'll find its source in Christ. Mm. Um, yeah. Wow. I, I, could, I could go on for a long time, but I feel, I feel very passionate about it. I also feel like I'm like I'm rambling a little bit, um, but I'd listen. I guess that's the bottom line. I'd just I'd listen and try to identify the yearning. I, as you're talking, uh, just just appreciate your approach so much, Paul. I, I think I think one of the things you said a couple of different times in there that I'd like to drill in maybe a little bit on is you mentioned the word dangerous in terms of you know this is a good thing, but it's also dangerous. It's good, but it's it's dangerous. Uh, what dangers do you see in that in that deconstructive process if you don't have those elders that you describe with you walking you through this journey along the way? Yeah. Yeah, it's such a good question. Um, you can lose yourself. Hmm. That's, that's what I'd say. You can lose yourself. Hmm. You can begin believing lies about who and what you are. Um, the human mind is a remarkably powerful thing. I think we underestimate the degree to which we shape the reality that we experience. Mm. You know, we can walk into a situation and our mindset at a very basic level, a chemical and electrical and physiological level shapes how we perceive the people in that room, whether we see them as threats, whether we see them as um, blessings that shapes our own self-concept. Like there are so many remarkable ways to get reality wrong. And the human mind, it seems, is always inventing more. And um, 
without a groundedness and without a steadiness and a perspective that is held to the key story, there are a million ways to lose yourself. You can believe things that shape the rest of your life in a root practical level for ill mm -hmm. that just plain mess you up. And uh, ultimately, that keep you from giving that great central gift of what you're meant to give to the world. There are people who, um, there are people who curse the world to the same degree that they would have blessed it because they've gotten good wrong, mm. right? We, you know, it's a political year right now, and everyone's up in arms about politics on both sides. And the question that I'm always asking is: for all these people who are like dealing out their personal unhealth upon the world. And depending on what side of the aisle you're on, you could put names to mm -hmm. um, just about anybody there. Um, think how they could bless it if they, if they were living in the light, mm -hmm. right? We see people dealing out their shadow and it's all the same qualities, but they're upside down, right? And so qualities of say, profoundly strong leadership or opinionation, flip that into the light. Imagine what could happen if we, we were giving those good things. Um, imagine what could happen if the human species, instead of burdening the earth to the degree that we are today, blessed it to that degree. Uh, I'm fascinated by permaculture agriculture, right? Which is this sort of way of thinking about farming and living with nature that is uh, very natural, but it actually goes beyond the ability of nature to produce. And permaculture principles, if you really like engage them, make a piece of land more productive in terms of biomass, like the actual amount of life that comes out of say a hectare of land, it makes it more productive than if the human had not been engaged with it, right? And so we see like monoculture farming and all these things that just destroy, objectively destroy the earth, right? And just hurt the ecosystem at a very deep level. Those are burdening it. But if you flip that upside down and said, what if we did farming practices this way, right? Just as an example, more life would be coming out than it would if it, than if it was in a natural state. What I'm reaching for here is the idea that the ways that we think of sin and the ways that we think of, you know, being a curse are all pointing to what the gift would be if we flipped it the other way. Every vice that you engage is actually a picture of what your virtue could be if you flipped it upside down. And it's that niche that we miss out on. It's that niche that Christ is calling us to. Uh, and that's what the Holy Spirit wants to bring out. We call that sanctification, by the way, right? Growing into holiness, growing into what you are so that you can give your gift to the world. Um, and that's what gets me excited. Like, what's in me that hasn't been given yet? What's in you that hasn't been given yet? How do I fit? How could I be a blessing over the course of my 70 or 80 years of life to the point where by the end of my life, I can name what my gift was? I can say, that's what I gave. And it was small, sure, but I gave it and I did my best. I think that's that's a good vision for human life. And I think it's what Christ wants and can point us to, not just now, but ultimately for eternity. You know, as you're talking, I'm jealous of both you and John, because I'm at a stage that whenever I go to nature, I, I have a wonderfully beautiful natural two and a half year old daughter that just, I'm like, <laughs> wherever she steps, I'm like, don't step on poison ivy, you know, we don't want you to like, so we have all of this. And yeah. so I'm, and I'm not naturally an outside person. And, you know, when you talk about creating and making, um, I remember watching videos on how to make almond milk. And like, my first thought was mm. like, why would you spend that much time boiling almonds? And on the same <laughs> token though, um, you know, we joined a CSA and I started, we had like eight tomatoes and I said, you know what? Mm -hmm. I'm going to do my best to make salsa. And there was mm. something about that process that was like, again, it, it goes back to what you said about actually doing things almost inefficiently on purpose, mm -hmm. you know, to slow us mm -hmm. down. And so I, I guess kind of what, what I'm wondering from you is, you know, you mentioned before, you know, or I, actually I mentioned this, I saw you took a break from social media you probably, out of all of our guests, are probably the last one that probably needed to, like, on paper. Um, I don't know, <laughs> internally. But, you uh, know, for those of us that, 
you know, just it's part of our life. It's part of our job. You know, what practices do you do to kind of fill that space? Um, you know, I'm joking around. I just bought a Fitbit and it just added yeah. like yeah. mindfulness. So I'd love to hear what you learned from that process, but also what you'd encourage people that just their job is technology and this space yeah. to be, you know, outdoors making salsa, you know? Yeah, for sure. I mean, I feel that magnetism too. I feel that attraction too. Uh, you know, I work uh, as an editor for two of Random House's imprints with the largest publisher of books in the world on that side of my job. And part of my role is to stay engaged with what people are talking about and what trends are happening online. And so my, you know, it's a constant dichotomy, right? I hate it kind of by personality. And yet there's also this magnetism. I'm drawn to the power that happens. And I have relationships with people that have been made online. And those are rich, rich things. I've never met some of these people in person. And yet we share a friendship and a correspondence and it branches out into the real world. Um, I can just share, you know, a little bit of the lessons I'm learning. I actually am a huge fan of intentional inconveniences as a way of uh, bridging into um, rooted life. Can we call it that? Rooted life. Uh, what I love about your story about the salsa, Peter, is uh, you had a relationship with that salsa. Like it wasn't just something you made, it was something you participated with. Like you knew intimately that whole process. And um, I think we long for that at a very deep level, deeper than we can really name, to know and belong and fit in and have that relationship with our environment, the food we eat, the shelter we make, the heat we have. So ways that I've been integrated with that at various times in my life have looked different. Uh, when we lived in a more urban context, it was me uh, exclusively commuting by bicycle. And I'd ride an average of 12 miles a day, um, which was not the quickest way I could get there most of the time. Um, for two of those years, we were in Chicago. So I rode year round with studded tires in <laughs> Chicago, right? That's pretty brutal. Um, but there was something about that that I, I needed and that connected me to my environment. I learned to know the places that we were living in a different way through that. We heat exclusively through wood. And that sounds really romantic on the surface. But the, the truth is, like, if you want to know how much work it takes to source wood, uh, to chop that wood and, you know, your back hurts from chainsawing and I'm invariably cut up throughout the year and you've got to stack it and you've got to store it and you've got to split it and you've got to carry it and it's messy and it's it's a mess it's hard and yet there's something about that process that keeps us really engaged and we choose to make that be how we heat i mean it also helps helps that our house is old and doesn't have central heating but um that was an intentional inconvenience that connects us because otherwise our days get full and we would gloss it by but when we're forced to do that, we learn things through that. When we are forced to have that constraint, we learn things. So, um, you know, same, you know, we do our very best. It's not perfect. We do our very best to eat ethical meat. We are carnivorous, um, but we do our best to do ethical meat. And last Saturday, I killed 35 chickens and I'm not a death oriented guy, but you know, we're processing chickens at our friend's farm and what do you need to do? Well, you got to kill chickens. Mm -hmm. That's how you get meat. And uh, that's another kind of intentional inconvenience that has been woven through that aspect of our life that ends up teaching us lessons. So what I would encourage is for people to just find those little places where you might be able to have some intentionality around connection. It doesn't have to be super sexy. It doesn't have to be, uh, you know, all lumberjack or all Wendell Berry all the time. It can be really basic. You know, nature is everywhere. Nature is in the city. Nature is in the suburbs. You are nature. Your two and a half year old daughter is nature. <laughs> like we're all connected with that. It's just really learning a different way of seeing it mm -hmm. and trying to slow down a little bit and practice that sense of connection and relationality. Um, usually it has an element of boringness to it. Usually it has an element of exhaustion to it. But the end result over the course of time is that we find a deeply satisfying connection to not only the thing itself, but to the spirit that is animating and sustaining that thing, the spirit that is holding that thing where it belongs in the big plan, in the big story. 
uh, and we actually can know God through, you know, the humane butchering of 35 chickens or through the chopping of a few cords of wood every year. We actually can know God a little bit more through those things. Um, there's not always a clear lesson, but it's that sense of being present that, I don't know, it, it speaks to me. It's a lifestyle that that has become for me a path of holiness. Mm. Such a such a well-rounded, I feel like, view of life that you're describing. Uh, so, you know, I, I, it makes me want to read your book even more, Paul. So I appreciate you joining us on here and <laughs> and and unpacking even just a little bit of it. And I'm sure, uh, you know, the people listening here are going to really want to dive into that mm. and and gain some more of your perspective. Um, but as as we kind of wrap this up today, I'd, I'd love for you to help us answer this final question. And we always hmm. ask the, this at the end of, of every time, and that's, what would Jesus have to say about this? Um, and so <laughs> we always <laughs> go back to Jesus and want to want to <laughs> bring our attention back to him. And <laughs> when it comes to why do I connect with you know God more in nature than I do in church, what do you think Jesus would <laughs> have to say? <laughs> about this. And and Peter and I will go first, and as you ruminate on that, and uh, I'm sure can do a, a much better job, even as you're describing it, I'm like, oh my goodness, what what a well-articulated you know, view, but we'll give it our best shot here as well. I think one of my favorite scenes in the Bible is in John 1, where Jesus goes and he calls Nathaniel. And one of the reasons is, is you know, the the author of John makes specific points that Nathaniel's sitting by a tree. And, um, you know, how often do we sit there and think that, like, God calls us in, like, a church? And I think back to this question, you know, why do I experience God more than nature? And Jesus, you know, basically Paul said this, but Jesus says, Nathaniel, I see you. And um, I think what I'd say to, you know, all of our friends out there, whether you are into nature and you have yet to meet Jesus or you're deconstructing, as Paul talked about, or, you know, you're even going through a season of doubt, is that no matter where you are, Jesus sees you. And I think that that is the central truth that the gospel and and embracing the love of the Holy Spirit does is that you are seen and you are loved by God. And Nathaniel mm. leaves there and he mm. goes, you know, this 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 man knows my name and he knows where <laughs> I was. And I just I think mm. that that's that story is leaving the imprint on me right now to what Paul said. Mm. That's mm. a really good. That's a really good point. I I, I think of. The beginning of John, where it just says, in the beginning was the Word, talking about Jesus, and the Word was was with God, and the Word was God, and everything was created through him. Nothing that has been created, but everything that was been created was created through him. Nothing has been made except through him. And I think when we are in creation so there is something there is something special about it because i think we mm. can almost hear in a sense the yearning inside of our souls to be connected to something larger mm. than us and i think that the answer to that is jesus because he mm. is the one who created it he is the one who you know the holy spirit does sustain it and and it's all about him. And I think that's the great invitation of nature hmm. is to bring us into that space again where we're, hmm. where we're confronted with the reality that, that Jesus is God, we are not. And it's very humbling, <laughs> but at the same time, it's very freeing. So uh, hmm. anyway, that's where I would take it. Paul? I think it's beautiful. I think it's absolutely beautiful. You know, when I think of Jesus, what I see is a life um, that is the ideal of the human life. This is what it looks like for the spirit of God to rest on the human creature, this bizarre amalgam of breath and dust that is the human creature. Uh, and look at Jesus. What did he do when he was tired or sad? He went into nature. He could have gone to the temple. He could have gone to the synagogue. He could have hung out with all of his friends. But you know what he did? 
He got awfully introverted and he went and walked by the ocean. He went and walked in the desert. He went and wandered around the hills of Judea. We see it after his friend dies. And isn't that a recognizable thing? Lazarus dies and Jesus goes off to be by himself um, and walk on the beach, basically. Uh, and so if somebody is feeling, man, I experience God more in nature than I do in church. The first thing I want to say is, yeah, Jesus did too. <laughs> like it's all <laughs> through the gospels, go through all four of them and count the times he walks off into the desert. Um, and so that sense of goodness that's there is like, if Christ can do that, of course we can too. And we want balance, be connected. If you're a believer, be, stay connected with the community of Jesus, go to church, sing with other people, put up with people's, you know, funky temperaments and the arguments about the color of the carpet and all the stupid things that happen when we get together, put up with it, bring something to the potluck, like be part of the party. Great. But also feel the permission sometimes to be like, you know what? I got to get out of here. Go, go out, experience. No, Christ did that before you. It was his place of prayer, his place of worship, his place of connection. Uh, and I just love how clearly the gospels show that to us as we read the Bible. It's Jesus uh, out in nature, doing his thing, being prayerful, but also walking, being active. That speaks to me. That speaks to me as a man. That speaks to me as a modern man. Um, if my teacher could feel that, instead of um, pursuing some high fluting uh, social piety, he could get by himself in creation. I feel permission to do that too. And so should you. Mm. Wow, folks. So make sure you check out Paul Pastor. He's on, his books are on Amazon. Um, I So I just want to let you know, part of my devotional life for about a year was uh, he has two small devotionals. They're prayers called The Listening Day. I highly recommend it. Um, John and I are going to buy copies of Face to the Deep, so we'll, we'll have more thoughts on that later. But Paul, thanks for being with us. Uh, you can look him up. He is back on social media, so um, sharing stuff about the book. Um, and then your website is pauljpastor.com. Is that correct? pauljpastor.com. Yeah, that's the best way to keep in touch with me in general. You can sign up for a newsletter there. I'm also on Twitter, not really on Instagram or Facebook very much, but check me out on Twitter. Um, yeah, but check the book out. I'm really, really pleased to have the chance to speak about it today. Uh, this, the insightful questions uh, that's, that are here just are so important. Uh, and it feels like part of my work to just try and draw attention to that. So thank you for the opportunity. We loved having you. So make sure you share this podcast, hashtag WGW podcast, leave us a review. As John would say, you know, what you really think, as I would say, five stars, whatever it is. But uh, we hope you have a wonderful day and uh, thank you so much for joining us. 